Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and the parent of two young adults, one of which is on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Elia with the Spectrum Strategy Group, and today I'm very excited to have Isabel Hanot on here with me. Um, we have worked together in the past, uh, and you know I'm, I'm really happy that we're here for a very specific topics, so that's exciting. And um, Isabel, if you want to just introduce yourself, like I always say, it's always better if people give their own backgrounds and they know it way better than I do. <laughs> Good. Thank you so much for the invitation. So I'm Isabelle Hino. I work in Montreal and I'm the director of the Autism and Asperger's Clinic. Uh, we run some assessment for children, teenagers and adults. We also provide some group sessions because I'm also a sexologist on the top of being a psychologist. So I'm very interested in sex education and counseling. Uh, of course, today we will talk about gender identity. We also work with women because we now have more information on the female profile of autism and Asperger's syndrome. And we also work with couples where there can be one member of the couple who's under the spectrum or sometimes both partners who may have traits of autism or Asperger's syndrome. So it's, a, I would say, a wide variety of um, services. And we also collaborate with uh, school boards, of course, and uh, different organizations that provide services for adults on the spectrum. Awesome. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's always, I know when I first uh, heard you speak, you know, the the whole I topic of sexuality and autism and how that sort of overlaps was interesting because we, I think we always get so caught up in the education and, you know, all of the, all of the other stuff. We forget that we're also talking about people I know at the time it was more like we were talking about adolescence and moving into adulthood. Um, but, you know, during those conversations, I know we would often, you and I would talk about, you know, we're noticing that there's this overlap with gender identity and um, people on the autism spectrum. And it's like, well, well, what is that? And, you know, having worked in adult services, I, I was, hearing these conversations, parents were coming, you know, not knowing what do I do? How do I, what, what do I do? Is pretty much a lot of the, the questions. And I also know clinicians and educators, same thing. And I think there's more, there's definitely more education out there and there's definitely more information. But I also think sometimes I'm in a little bubble because I get to work with people like yourself and I work with other psychologists and other people who are doing this type of work. So for me, it seems I don't know. It seems like a given, like it's, it's normal for me, but for other people who are, you know, just entering into this, I think this is a really important topic. So, um, so yeah, I, I really want to talk a little bit. I mean, I know you said you were working on a new book called working with autistic transgender and non-binary people. Um, and as I say that to me, that I totally understand what that means, I think. Um, but I know that there are people listening in who are like, you know, I'm not really, sure what that's about. And just like other sexuality topics, you know, and again, sex, sexuality, gender, all different things. 
but they're all uncomfortable topics, right? And I think people are afraid to ask. So I want this to be a safe space where people, they don't have to ask, they can listen in <laughs> and, you know, get a little bit more than what they knew before. So can we talk a little bit, you know, step back a little bit about um, what you mean just by the title of your new book coming out? Yeah, so that's such an important topic. And I would say probably about 15 years ago, I started to work with teenagers and adults on the spectrum who were exploring their gender identity. So I've learned a lot from my work, clinical work. And eventually, I was very lucky to travel uh, in Scandinavian countries where they're quite advanced when it comes to gender identity. So we worked in uh, research programs together. We did some clinics. And then I was, I was in a way very relieved to uh, conclude that we have the same observation. So there are a higher correlation when it comes to autism and gender identity quests. So we receive teenagers and adults who may search about their identity in a different way because, of course, they have autism or Asperger's syndrome. Their profile and characteristics are different. And the way they address it also sometimes may be um, more, I would say, detailed. So they ask us questions about, is this normal, for example, if I feel that I'm stuck in the wrong body? Is this okay? Do I have what we should call gender dysphoria? So we discovered that there seems to be more flexibility when it comes to autism and gender identity because social norms and pressure are not felt the same way by our students and adults on the spectrum. So they really go with how they feel inside. And there seems to be more flexibility when it comes to integrating male and female characteristics. And for some of them, it's not a conflict. So that's the important aspect. So I've started to work with this, um, I would say this very important topic that it may not be something uh, linked to a pathology, but mainly a different way of exploring gender identity. So that's how it started. And since then, I've seen lots and lots of uh, clients coming to our clinic. And also, as I said, in other countries as well. And uh, I was approached by Marianne P. Corti, who's the editor of the book that will come up in uh, October. Uh, and we've discussed previously together and other clinicians. And she wanted me to explore um, factors that may lead to this quest for identity. And later on today, we can talk about three different hypotheses, clinical hypotheses that I developed over the years. And that gives us a lot of information about how to support these teenagers and adults. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So let's, let's get to that then. Yeah. So, so what, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, definitely. And, and I think I want to, I want to, again, look at, let's look at the, um, I know you were talking to other colleagues about correlations and again, the, the glossary of terms and the language um, would be, I would say would be, you know, a common for you and maybe for myself. Um, but for a lot of people listening in, it, it might not be, or for, you know, I do have a lot of adults listening in as well, who are also beginning this quest or on the quest thinking about, well, I don't even, I don't really even understand what all of the terms, what all these terms mean. So can you help, can you help us like just give yeah. us sort of like that background, yeah. that schema? Yeah. Yes. So 
when we come when we approach the topic of uh, flexibility uh, many adults will call themselves non-binary because binary means male or female so when they think about who they are as a person as a whole not just in their body but the way they feel they may see that there is a combination of male and female traits so non-binary is usually a term that they may use um, and also, Marianne Ticurti, um, I think she's very brilliant. She made up a word called autigen for autism gender. So the autigen would be a very special, unique way for many individuals on the spectrum to consider this flexibility where it's not a conflict again, where they can you know, dress in a neutral way. So gender neutral, uh, that's another term that is used by uh, many of our teenagers and adults. So they, they are more neutral, meaning that they will integrate both male and female, sometimes in the way they dress up or they may use a neutral pronoun as well. Like Alex is a very common one where you don't define yourself through a name that would be male or female. And again, they integrate these characteristics that I think is fascinating. I think it's a color, a rich color that express uh, that they may express through their personality. So the quest in itself of being more flexible, we see it in a clinical way and research way in about 30-35% of our clients coming to the clinic. I'm a bit like you in your position where you work in the field. So people coming to us at the clinic, of course, uh, they have, we maybe have this bias because they will search for information and support. But out of all my clients, so that's a large number, 30, 35. And out of this, um, of this group, we may also have some sometimes students or adults who eventually, when we work together, find we find together that there may be underlying conflict that may explain why they want to search or sometimes transition. An example is not necessarily accepting the diagnostic. So I work with some individuals who, for many reasons, maybe the diagnostic was not explained in a proper way or in a positive way, and they want to become a new persona. I have some of them who say, if I become, let's say, a girl or a boy, I will be a new persona, so I, I won't have autism anymore. So if there's underlying conflict, we will work with the person, of course, to try to find some ways to deal with the conflict. For example, accepting the diagnostic and developing, most of the time, a lot of social skills, because some of them, the conflict may be due to a difficult childhood, are going to school where they were teased or bullied and they felt that's the word they used that they didn't fit in with their peer group so not fitting in may lead to a quest of becoming a new person again so that's why we focus on the assessment this is something we can talk about we have tools now and good questionnaires to fully assess you know their quest so if it's linked to bullying, teasing, lack of social skills, we will build these skills with them, give them more confidence. And if they become more sometimes popular, they may say, okay, so I will say myself, this is not what I'm looking for anymore. And the other hypothesis, the third one is really, if I have to use the term gender dysphoria, but this is not the, the term I use at my clinic, but we, from the DSM, this is what we need to call it, gender dysphoria, used to be called gender identity disorder. I think this is a very term, uh, and especially in our field of autism, so I usually call it more transitioning. So 
to someone with autism or Asperger's syndrome who wish to transition. So there's different steps. After the assessment and knowing the person very well, we will address if there are underlying issues or conflict. But sometimes, really, their path is to have a transition that can be hormonal changes, partial surgery, up to full surgery. And if that's the case, we will work with the individual, their family. We try to collaborate with parents as well, even if they are adults, uh, in terms of getting right support. Uh, we will work with other professionals in the field, doctors, surgeons, so they will have a, a better idea of the needs of our clients. So this is more or less the way we work at the clinic with these kind of three hypotheses to make sure that if we follow someone to transitioning, it is the right decision because we don't want to sometimes go too quickly, not knowing the person, and then make a decision that may not be the right decision. But if it turned out to be the good decision, uh, we have a committee at the clinic with psychologists like myself, sexologists, and we have special educators, and we will then uh, support the individual to access services because years ago, one of the problems that I found is that some of our uh, clients uh, were not accepted in transgender clinic due to their profile of autism. So other professionals were not too keen to work with them due to lack of information or they were unsure how to understand the request. And some of them were refused by clinics. And then as you can imagine, it, it will increase, you know, anxiety, sometimes depression. We had also some uh, clients who were suicidal because that was really their project and their path. And since they were refused, they were at risk um, of, you know, uh, being in distress. So that's why I'm, I'm promoting a, the, a better understanding of this complex issue. But in our field, as you know, we have specialists in the world of autism and then we have specialists in transgender care but rarely both worlds join together. Right. So what would be, um, so how is that, how is it different? Because I know as it is, resources in both areas are limited, especially in the, um, the gender, uh, transgender, you know, arena that's super limited. So to cross them together, to have that intersection with both is even more um, challenging to find. Um, but what, so, so aside from talking about resources, let's talk about, you know, the reasoning for overlapping the two. I know you talked a little bit about it, but how would that, how would someone, a clinician or, you know, even a parent who's just starting to have these, you know, conversations, um, what, 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 what is the difference, I guess, between one or the other and the need for combining them together? And definitely, I think we have to take into account the uh, social aspect that is linked with autism. Uh, I was talking earlier about so sometimes social pressure to fit in or to have partners, boyfriend, girlfriend, and some of our teenagers or adults may experience a delay in the development of their social skills or abilities, but also in terms of sexual development. So this is super important because when we work with a person with autism, I always take into account that there can be a gap or a delay in terms of the maturity. So this is why they may start to question themselves later on as a teenager and even adults. And that's something we don't find outside of the field of autism. If we work in transgender care in general, usually uh, the questioning or the quest will be before or around the age of puberty. As when we work with uh, students on the spectrum, 
they may be 17, 18, and sometimes adult, as I said, because they start to think about sexuality, they start to think about themselves, their own identity later on. And that's why many of them, unfortunately, were rejected from protocol and clinics because the initial definition in the DSM is that it should happen prior or during puberty. So that's one aspect that we really need to focus on. So the, the, this delay and also the way the person may experience or express their quest about identity. They may not use the words that we're thinking about because they express themselves in a different way. And sometimes they can be very literal. So for example, I was working with a, a teenager and he, uh, he, he came to the clinic and he said, Isabel, I'm not feeling good in my body as a boy. I would like to become a girl. And I started to explore with him why, the reasons. And he said, you should know you're the expert. So, you know, I said, we need to discuss it. So we really need to follow them and explore um, this concept. So again, is to make sure that this is the right pathway for them. So the social impact is very important, the delay as well. And for them to start to think about who they are as a person in terms of their gender identity, it is a very complex issue. So that's why in the field of autism, the way we work with um, our clinic is we take our time. And that may be something very different from other colleagues, and I'm more than okay to discuss it. Some of our colleagues would be more critical and say, the moment someone mentions that they want to transition, you should say yes and then offer services. At our clinic, we take more time because from experience, as, a, as I was saying previously, we want to make sure that this is the right decision. And it's going to take time. It's a lifetime, you know, decision. And we really need to explore with our, our clients also the aspects of transitioning so to make sure that they fully understand what it means. Uh, talking about hormonal changes, talking about surgery. Sometimes it's almost like they go on internet and they read information. Is this the right information? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And I want for them to make sure that they fully understand and also including their parents and sometimes partners because I work with adults who wish to transition once they are in a relationship. Some of them also have children. So it's a, as you, as you can think about it, it's quite an adaptation for everyone in the surroundings and the environment. So working closely with the person and we're also using a very interesting document. Maybe that's something we could share after the podcast. It's a, a document you can find online on initial guidelines when it comes to transitioning in autism. And the authors are also talking about a very important aspect linked to autism is executive function. So that's something that we find in some of our clients and they may have difficulties in day-to-day -day organization, planning, steps. And when you think about transitioning, you will have lots of appointments, you know, checkups, you need to go and see different professionals. And if you decide to transition uh, after the surgery, you have to take care of yourself. So we also want to make sure that we address the executive function skills. So we are using some questionnaires and tests. And if we feel that one of our students or adults may need support, then we will work with a team. My special educators will be with them uh, sometimes on a weekly basis to check 
if everything's fine, if they're following, you know, all the steps required. Just an example, taking the uh, hormonal therapy. So you need to take your meds every day. So, so that's a complex issue that can be very practical in some way. But also my work as a sexologist and psychologist is really to, um, to get in, in in a deeper way to fully understand this concept. Again, the flexibility is very common and it may not lead to uh, transitioning, but really living in a positive way, this non-binary gender, or as we were call it, autogen as well, and being accepted, you know, by families, friends, and eventually maybe co-workers as well. Yeah. So I, it was funny. You, I was going to bring you back to the flexibility piece that you mentioned before, um, because yes. I think, you know, when, if someone, um, you know, I'm thinking about other people who might not have the same background, right? They're looking at transgender. Um, the, the, that word seems like, oh, it's, it's very extreme. Just like what you're saying is, you know, we, there's a lot of steps in there. We need to really think about that process and what, you know, what it all means if we go down that kind of path. Um, and then non-binary, um, that also has its own, you know, challenges and its own um, areas to think about, but also can be so liberating and so freeing for so many people. Um, I also think about, I think many people get confused about, you know, particularly if we're talking about the non-binary piece of this, people get that gender identity term confused with sexuality or who people like to have sex with. We're going to be really specific. Um, but I think, oh, yeah. So, yeah. so if you can help people understand that, I remember going to a training and someone explained it super well. They use these three continuums, but I'd like to hear how you know, you kind of explain that. I'm thinking like, you know, you, you probably have parents or educators that come in and say, can you please help me understand, you know, all the different aspects of what we're talking about here? Yes. So that's very important what you just mentioned. So the first thing that we explore is the identity, the self-identity concept. Who are you as a person? And then we will explore the gender identity is it male, female, non-binary, neutral? And then we will talk about sexual preference because that's another layer. And most of the time, my experience, when I work with um, teenagers and adults on the spectrum, their sexual preference has nothing to do or their sexual orientation has nothing to do with their, their gender identity. So some of us will confuse it. And sometimes I work with parents and they say, oh, maybe it's because my son is homosexual or bisexual. So they kind of, you know, mix these concepts that has in fact nothing to do. Because when we do the assessment, we ask a very specific question to, you know, to our clients. If you transition or you become, let's say, uh, you know, the opposite sex, will it change your sexual orientation? And 99% of the time they say, no, this has nothing to do with it. So if I work, let's say, with a, a born female, who's interested in, in women as well, transitioning will have nothing to do with the preference. The preference will stay the same. If there is a mixed up or a change in the preference that could lead us in the assessment to explore if there is a conflict then, because most of the time there are two separate things. So that's very, very important. So that's why when we work with the circles of identity, we will start with the you know, the self-identity, gender, sexual preference, and we will include this in how do I see myself as a person with autism or Asperger's syndrome? 
because again, as I said, there that could be a, a delay in the maturity. Sometimes also, that's something I, I really need to share with you. Uh, lately, we had some uh, consultations where uh, some of our students were confused. They were just confused with the terms and they thought that if they don't know yet if they are interested in boys or girls, they may be trans. And this has nothing to do mm -hmm. with it. So part of our work is also sex education to make sure they understand the words, the meaning, and how does it reflect, you know, in terms of their own identity. So this is also what we work with parents. We have a group session for parents where we explain the difference between orientation, identity, and how everything is all connected with autism. I would say I think the other piece that that goes into that is um, expression as well, gender expression, because I've also worked with people who say, well, the way I, I feel inside and the way I want to express myself for others might appear different and can also change. So there's a flexibility in that as well. Definitely. And I, I feel it's more common in autism and Asperger's syndrome. So the uh, self-expression, this is something we truly encourage when we work with teenagers and adults. So they find more control. You know, the more you express yourself, the more you're in control. So this is something we explain to parents because sometimes they're against some of our suggestion to say, oh, don't you think you're encouraging my son or daughter? I said, this is self-expression because many of them, they experience high anxiety. And we understand, of course, by nature, they tend to be more anxious. So if on the top of it, they cannot express who they are, you know, it can be through clothing, accessories, um, being very open about this flexibility or combination, uh, they, they will feel more anxious. So we encourage them to experience, in fact, so we call it exploring and experiencing. And that reduces a lot of distress, less depression, and we try to initiate this exploration in safe zone. So most of the time we start at home. So when they're at home or in their bedroom, they can choose neutral clothing or even opposite sex clothing because that's an expression. And sometimes I don't want to sound superficial, but it can be the color of clothing. Just last week I was um, a teenager and he said, you know, I'd, I'd love to wear more purple. But purple at school, you know, I'll be teased and bullied. So let's start purple at home. And he felt so comfortable and happy. And he said, I can express myself. I feel I'm true to myself if I wear this color. Sometimes it can be, again, changing pronouns at home. I was working with a family last week and mom said that after a few months uh, of discussion, they they're okay now to call him, let's say, Alex at home. So that reduced the anxiety, you know, of their a daughter uh, because she finds that she can be neutral and accepting these, you know, changes as uh, slowly, gradually. And we encourage the person also to experience. And then we, we come back at the clinic and we discuss how do you feel in this situation? You know, did you felt less anxious? Did you felt that you were more assertive, for example? And this is a positive progress. And, you know, years, after, it's been years now, and many, many of our students and adults said that they didn't know that they could have this permission. And they ask me sometimes, do you give me permission, Isabel? I say, I'm not there to choose for you, but I give you permission to really explore who you are and be assertive. And many of them with this smooth transition, that is just a starting point said to me, I'm okay for now. Because that's also a worry when it's too quick, 
maybe we're you know we're not following the right steps so taking time to experience feel you know in, in different clothing colors whatever haircut and some of them said i'm okay for now i don't necessarily feel that i need to go for hormonal changes in other cases they come to us and they say i just want to have a neutral body neutral features so hormonal therapy may be an option for them so that's why when we assess and we feel that this is really important for them, we will work with colleagues for them also to accept because in the initial work, when we work in transgender care, the moment you go to a clinic, the, the other professionals and colleagues, they have in mind that you will transition up to surgery. But in the field of autism, many, they request and they wish for hormonal therapy and that's it. So they have a neutral body or more feminine in some cases or more masculine traits and they're happy, you know, with their body features. So they find themselves in clothing, whatever, accessories, colors, but also within their body and that diffuse tension and problems and they feel more happy. So this, I would say new, I don't want to use the word category, but this is a new area where years ago, never you would just go for hormonal therapy. You would go for the full surgery. And now we work with a very fine group of uh, surgeons in Montreal and also um, doctors who accept to go with hormonal therapy and then to wait and see how things go because we refer them with clients with autism and Asperger's syndrome. So that's pretty new in our field. Yeah, I'm just, that's the first I've heard of that, um, you know, that step of that process where we, we, we kind of pause there um, and kind of see how, how people are feeling in that area. And I, I don't feel like it's, it's, I don't feel like it's new. I think I kind of knew people were doing that, but I, I guess to actually explore it as an option, um, for, for like sort of staying there that that's that feels new to me that I have not heard that so yeah yeah and that's why we work closely with our clients on a weekly basis most of the time or every second week just to see their progress uh we we assess their mood all the time to make sure they're not too anxious or depressed because that's a big big issue for them and the more they are assertive and feeling good within their own body and then it usually increases their quality of life and this pause is not forced. We go with them, we go with the flow, but we don't necessarily promote, you know, making quick changes because we've seen from research and clinical work that um, with clients with autism and Asperger's syndrome, if you go too quick, there may be risk of regret. And that's another issue because imagine you go to all the transitioning and finally, let's say there was underlying conflict or misunderstanding or whatever, and the changes are there and it doesn't solve the issue. So at the end, you find, you find yourself in you know, a situation that can be critical. So that's why we want to make sure that they make the right decision. And if yes, we will follow them as far as they want, of course. Yeah, so I think about you know, parents who are you know, or educators or clinicians who might be working with people who say, you know, all the things that you've just described, um, where does someone start with that? You know, I think especially if you know your, your child is on spectrum or a student is on spectrum or a client, um, 
you know, it's, it's like, oh, well, first, I, I think many people might feel like they're kind of, whoa, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. But what would you suggest would be the, you know, a first step where people can kind of go and say, okay, but also understanding this overlap. So I would say, well, so that's one question, I guess, where do people start? And then I also think about, you know, um, either late teens or adults thinking about, you know, wait, I think this might feel like this resonates with me and I need to explore this further. I think because of lack of resources on both sides, um, you know, someone may not disclose to, you know, someone who has experience with um, transitioning, they might not dis disclose the autism. And so now from what you're telling me, I think that would be, that's a huge component of that. So, and again, I don't know, I, you know, I haven't, I don't know the process detailed enough for someone who's not on spectrum, what that looks like. But I would think there would be a lot of investigation into all different things. But so, so I guess those are the two, I know they're two big questions, but one yes, is like, yes. <laughs> yes. but it's interesting. So where to start for parents, I would definitely recommend reading about it and getting some information um, in the book that will be published uh, by Marianti Corti. Um, there will be lots of resources uh, and also explaining the uh, importance of knowing about autism and also gender identity. So the book will be a good, good one. There's also the initial guidelines that I will share with you that is really, really important as well. Uh, I'm, and I'm careful about the information we share with parents and our clients because I don't want to sound negative, but you know, if you go online, you can find everything. And sometimes information online, it may not be the right one. There can be sometimes promotion of becoming transgender with some people in different groups that we don't know about. So we made a list of very good information. It can be more clinical, educational, but also for families. There are books now on how to uh, work with your children if or on how to understand your children or as educators. So I will share with you the list of resources. So that's the first tip, I think. The second one is really... I will say something that may sound funny, but uh, my clients, they tell me all the time, Isabel, maybe you're the first one who really asked me. You're asking me and you're listening to me. So I don't take anything for granted. So I will ask them, how can you explain to me? Why do you want to become a boy or girl? So addressing the issue with the person and saying, tell me in your own words. Sometimes they don't know how to express it. So that's why we'll take time and we will give them tools to help them understand and express, you know, their questioning. So we will guide them in the discussion. So I know that sounds weird, but I ask them and I listen to them. I'm, I'm very patient. That's why it can take time with some of my clients who are maybe confused, not sure, but they feel that they are accepted, they are not judged, and that will give them opportunities to discuss. And I, most of the time we invite parents in our session. And I know most of my colleagues say if you work with someone who's over 14 in, in Canada, in Quebec, parents don't have even to know about the process. I encourage my students to say maybe mom or dad can, you know, sit with us so we discuss together because if there is transitioning and they, they are still living at home, we want harmony. We want support for everyone. So I will share information with my, my colleagues to parents and also to our, our students. So that's the first thing I would recommend is to read about the dual 
okay, autism and gender identity together. And the second question you were asking, because you've <laughs> there are so huge questions, but you were talking about um, transition. Can you just maybe give me uh, more details about your second question? Yeah, sure. I, I'm thinking about, um, a, you know, an, uh, a late teen or an, a, an adult that might be thinking that, you know, transition might be a, a way to go or looking to explore this journey a little, you know, a little more. Um, and I like how you say, you know, like your quest. Um, but then oftentimes I think that in, in the mainstream world, and everything we're talking about here is not mainstream, but let's just say in the mainstream world, you know, they might go to a specialist in transitioning, um, but they might not know that someone, that, that person has autism. So, so that, I think that's a huge, important piece of disclosure, um, you know, in, in healthcare, I think. Yeah, so uh, just to answer your question, I'll, I'll tell you a short story and then I'll, I'll answer your question. Years ago, I was traveling to um, Sweden and I met the director of one of the largest uh, transgender clinic at the hospital there in, uh, in Stockholm. And I was presenting the hypothesis and discussing my clinical cases. And at lunchtime, she came to me and said, Isabel, we need to talk. So I was like, Ooh, super impressed. She wants to talk with me. And she said, you know what? It's been three, four years. So that's about five years ago. So now maybe eight, nine years ago. She said, every time we receive a new request at the gender clinic now, we also assess autism because they also discovered that, you know, 30, 40% of their new requests were individuals on the spectrum. So that's, so coming back to your question, definitely knowing about autism and Asperger's syndrome from my perspective is super important because it's going to change the course of transitioning, the course of exploring, thinking about the flexibility as well, because this is particular to autism. So we encourage uh, colleagues to also think about autism, but not necessarily severe autism. Think about Asperger's syndrome as well, because we work with some clients who, as you know, who uh, can have, you know, different skills and a different profile of autism, and they fall under the radar because they adapt, they camouflage a lot, some of their difficulties, especially females on the spectrum. So knowing and thinking about autism, I think is very, very important. Otherwise, there is a risk. I'm not saying that necessarily it's going to be negative, but the risk is maybe to misunderstand a person, go too quickly, and not you know, supporting uh, the aspects that are so important in our field of autism. So I'm giving a lot of training at the moment, uh, discussing with the other colleagues. We do a lot of supervision to teach them about the autism profile mm -hmm. so they learn more. So this is what we were saying at the beginning of our discussion. The two fields are coming along together slowly, slowly. <laughs> no, and I think that's that's. Uh, super important. And I, I think, um, you know, not just from the clinician side, but also from um, an adult exploring, I think in, in this situation, you know, we talk about disclosure uh, at, at other times that this would be an important place, I think, to, to have that conversation about disclosure. 
Definitely. And that's why also working with the many professionals in the field, uh, since they come to our training, and that's a topic we discuss more and more, uh, people know more about autism and Asperger's syndrome than years ago, and they're starting to make this connection. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was discussing with an educator uh, in a school, and she contacted me because she said, you know, we have a student who's talking about maybe exploring, transitioning, and she said, we thought about referring her first for an assessment for autism or Asperger's syndrome. She said, is this the right you know, way to go? I said, you have nothing to lose, everything to gain. If it's not autism or Asperger's syndrome, okay, we'll rule it out. But anyway, in our assessment, we also need to assess mental health issues because if we work with someone who may be too distressed or uh, someone who may have psychotic episode, uh, that's something we need to consider because we want the person to feel as stable as possible before, you know, transitioning. So thinking about autism is now uh, something that we promote more and more, definitely. And that's why we will publish the book, in fact. Um, in the book, there are some specialists in the field of, uh, of transgender care, professionals in the field of autism. So we all join together. And in the book, there is also uh, a chapter from an adult who transitioned in, in, a, in her 50s. Can you imagine? And talking about adult transitioning as years ago, never, never someone would say that's impossible because you have to, you know, transition as a teenager or young adult. But now we know that with autism and Asperger's syndrome, that can come later on in life. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that it's not just um, because I, I think um, people with autism might get concerned that that would add a stigma to, um, you know, uh, getting the help and the support that they need to make a decision like this. But I also think that um, it, there are some real, just some very, it, I think, I'm thinking of it as adding it to the checklist of, right, whatever the process is for working through this journey. It's it's like an add-on to the checklist. And it's and it's for very real circumstances, just like with, with mental illness. Um, you know, the fact that we're doing some very biological changes with hormones and, and I hadn't even considered, you know, the executive functioning piece, like with the care, like all of those pieces are very tangible, um, you know, things that we can actually hold on to why that connection is so important, I think. Exactly. And it's a complex issue. That's why, you know, we take our time to explore. And in the guidelines, this is what the authors are also uh, referring to, making sure that, you know, you take the right direction because it's, it can be a long process, months and years when you think about it. And we haven't talked about after the surgery. So I'm working with adults as well who've been through surgery, like genital surgery, hormonal therapy before, of course. And I work with them also to to make sure that after the transitioning, uh, first they are safe because, you know, as you can imagine, after huge surgery, there are always some risk to make sure that they have a safe place to go. They have care, that's very important, and self-care of their genitals as well. So we will explore in details um, all these aspects and making sure that they're okay. And in fact, you know, it's, it's a new transition for them becoming a male or a female, and some of them are in couples as well. So we also work with couples where there are lots of adjustments not just physically speaking, but also in terms of their relationship and sexuality. Uh, 
uh, one of the couple I worked with a few years ago, it was super interesting. Um, the male became a female and uh, they were in couples. So they became two females together and they had children on the spectrum. So a lot of the work we did also was preparing the children to the transitioning to make sure that they would feel okay, they would understand. And I was uh, in a good way, super happy, surprised to see that the children were very accepting. And they say, dad is now mom, but it's a person before everything else. So it's still my parent. And they adjusted very well. Sometimes in other families, that may be a bit more tricky or difficult. So we will do some work together again to understand accept the difference and working with couples as a sexologist also the sexual adjustment when it comes to intimacy i won't go in detail today but it's very important and accepting your new body you know pleasure as well sexual desire and how the couple can be intimate together the good news i i also want to share with you is that when we took time to do the work in the right way and there was full transition so far there hasn't been any regrets in our clients that's something that I'm very happy to share uh, but again it's because I take time and I'm okay with sometimes criticism from other colleagues who say if you work with Isabel and her team it's going to take time and I, I'm okay with that I assume that I said I don't see how things could be different because our, our clients are complex. And I'm not saying this in a negative way, but they are different and complex. So we need to address everything around to make sure that this will be a success and exactly what they wanted uh, and the adjustment to be more positive. Yeah, I mean, I would think a decision like this would would and should take time. And I think just like all uh, you know, other types of self-discovery and exploration, um, it, it takes time. And I would, I would hope that someone, you know, and those listening um, will find someone who will take the time to listen to all the different pieces and educate on all the different aspects, because it's not, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like rediscovering, like you said, yourself and rediscovering how you move through the world and how you relate to people who are in your family um, and friends, and then how that changes and then meeting new people and how that kind of fits into the paradigm so I, I would hope someone would take time <laughs> to help <laughs> and and we have we talked briefly about you know sexual orientation but if they wish to have a boyfriend girlfriend during transition or after transitioning we we talk about this as well relationship and disclosing yourself to your new boyfriend girlfriend so these are important aspects another thing is when i work with younger students and they're still going to school i go to school with them if they ask me of course they they make decisions i'm just there to support and we've done some i think very positive experience of uh, talking to a classroom one of my students was transitioning during summer. So at the end of the year, before summer, um, I went to school with him and she would he would become a she in September, okay? Uh, and I explained gender identity, we talked about autism, we talked about the transition and how it, it was positive for this person to transition. And uh, we did the presentation together. And that was one of the probably most positive experience I had in a school. And we choose carefully what we would disclose to, of course, respect confidentiality. But, you know, my, my client, 
I said, you know, if you come with me, I, I'll feel better in case they have tricky questions. So I gave him her time to discuss and disclose. And after maybe half an hour, 40 minutes, there was a big sound, in, no sound, sorry, in the classroom, like big silence. So we looked at everyone and I said, are you okay? And all the students lift up and they started to clap and say, congratulations, wow, you are brave. And I had goosebumps everywhere. And, and you know, my client looked at me and I said- I just got the goosebumps. <laughs> yes, I know it's been a few years and I'm still like so touched by the story. And, and the students came around and they circled him and say, what will be your pronoun? How can we call you back in September? So that was super positive. And then the teachers were there and, professionals, the direction of the school, you know, and they were more like concerned. So after this very good vibe, positive welcoming from students, I left them together and I went and talked to the direction of the school and other professionals, and they are the one who had lots of issues and misunderstanding. So they were less accepting in a way than the student. So that was very interesting. So since then, we've decided to work with teachers, educators, that's why today I was very happy to collaborate with you to explain the, I would say, yes, the particularity, but also if someone wished to transition, this is all the steps that we have done together to make the decision, and this is the next step coming. So that was a very fine and positive experience. So going back to the issue we were discussing just before taking time, so that can be part of the work I do. So I won't do this in a week, so we needed to prepare you know, the student with me to, you know, to feel assertive enough and to share this very personal information as well. So that's part of the kind of protocol that we use. Yeah. And I think, you know, all of this, you know, that that story sort of emphasizes, you know, why having this conversation is so important, because ultimately we want individuals to feel accepted and and celebrated for who they are, who they truly are, and to build that authenticity. And this is yet another piece of, and, and a huge piece for many people, of how they can feel authentic and be who they really are. Definitely. And this is why this process is important. And I am, that's why I'm always really uh, willing to work with them. The moment we have a request at the clinic, we work as a, as a group. That's something maybe I forgot to say. Uh, I'm not working alone. So we have all the team aside to make sure that we really cover all the important aspects. And again, it can be at home, at work, at school. And this being assertive and being happy with who you are will bring quality of life. And this is my main goal as well. So no matter the transitioning, honestly, I'm working with a person. I'm not working with someone who transitioned. So even we don't really use the term when we work together, trans, whatever. I'm working with Alex, with Eric. I, I don't mind. I'm with you and I'm going to follow you. And we will work all together so you'll be happy. And we see some very good outcomes and positive outcomes of our students and adults who finally, they say it's, it's a huge relief. I can be who I am. I, I can celebrate this difference. And remember, some of them are in the flexibility zone. And they can be gender neutral, agender, autigen, how, no matter the way they call it, I'm fine with that. And just being happy with that and say, again, you know, I, I know I, I talked about this before, but they say, I didn't know I could choose to be just flexible, non-binary without 
going to the full transitioning. And you see that comes from education and discussing with them that we explain that we have some of our students who are in different you know, zones, are different steps in the course of exploring their identity. And this is not something you find online. When you go online on internet and you search for gender identity, trans, whatever, it's very rare that they may say, oh, you can be a flexible person. If that's the case, that's why I want to discuss it and explore. If not, of course, I'll follow the person. But just having this new concept that we talk about, and that's my chapter in the book that will be published, is this is the reality we see in, in many of them. And parents also, they need to learn about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's a, a great way to kind of, um, you know, hold on to that and help understanding that we're working with a whole person in no matter what areas. And I think that that's a theme that keeps coming up over and over again, regardless of what topic um, I'm talking with yeah, someone yeah. is like, we're yeah. working with a whole person. We're not working with a label and we're not working that's with it. a diagnosis. Um, and so I, I appreciate you bringing that to this work as well is super important. So if people want to find more information about all the things we've talked about today, where can they, where can they go? The, the book, I think, contains most of the information because we've, we've been working for more than a, a year and a half with this group of professionals and adults on the spectrum. I will share some resources with you as well uh, that you could maybe put online with the podcast um, and also at the uh, uh, Autism and Asperger's Clinic at Montreal. We're on Facebook and we have a website and we have the list of services, professionals working, and we also share most uh, of the information is on our Facebook, of course, account. Uh, and then there will be more and more publication, I think, in, in the future, because that's a topic that is so important and very interesting. This morning I was discussing with a French editor uh, who's interested in translating the book that will be published in English. And the editor said a few years ago, we were starting to publish on autism. Now we're, we publish sexuality, sexuality in the law. Now it's going to be gender identity. So I was super happy because I said this is such an important part, you know, of the quest of many of our students and adults. And this is a, a, a topic that now we talk in the society, not just in the field of autism. We talk about neurodiversity, gender identity, everywhere. So we need to have more, I say, information, especially a better understanding and better support, giving access to the services and the right protocol. Uh, we also work with um, a questionnaire that uh, was adapted for clients with autism, exploring gender. It's called the gender questionnaire, and it's, it's very interesting because we have questions linked to autism and flexibility and sexual uh, identity and sexual preference. So we really go in detail to make sure that we cover all the aspects. So we don't use a general protocol. We use one that is adapted to autism and Asperger's syndrome. And this is something that in the next year, I wish uh, that I'll be able to publish. Uh, we call it the protocol of services. And then I would share the questionnaire, the guidelines, the type of work we do in a very practical way so to support uh, parents and educators if ever they meet someone who's questioning which direction to take. Okay, excellent. So we, I will post all that information um, in the description of the podcast. And if whatever resources you send me, I will put all the links in there. Um, so thank you so much for sharing all that with me. And um, I look forward to working with you again in the future.
Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Ilya Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. You can also join my email list to get more information on the podcast, receive blog posts, and my newsletter. If you have suggested topics for the podcast or would like to be a guest, please reach me on social media or through my contact page. Talk to you next time.